thank you, Nancy, for reading, and thank you, choir, for that beautiful anthem. And since I probably don't tell you this enough, Lorraine, thank you for playing so well. Sometimes in life, there are moments when you realize the truths of things that you have always heard. Suddenly, you encounter them as if for the first time you can see yourself inside of them. You fall in love and suddenly Stevie Wonder's for once in my life makes perfect sense. You get dumped and you find yourself lying on your bed listening to Patsy Cline sing crazy over and over again. I'm not going to say who it is, but the other day I was having a conversation with a church member who is around my same age when he confessed that the Paul Rudd movie, This is 40, is beginning to feel more and more like a documentary of his life. For me, one of these times came in July of 2012 when summer finally hit New York City. You see, where I'm from, people think that New York City is some mythical place called the North, when in fact it is much closer to somewhere like Virginia than it is to somewhere like Maine. Now, it might take longer for summers to arrive in New York City, but I promise you that when they do, they arrive in Manhattan, all concrete and steel, turns into an oven, and if you live there, you spend the next several months baking in it. On top of that, and I don't know if any of y'all might have heard, but New York is actually a big city. It's crowded and it's got a lot of traffic and for all of its glitz and all of its glamour, there are days where, as Tina Fey once pointed out, it just feels like everything's covered in a fine layer of pulverized garbage and brake dust. Well, that was me one afternoon in the summer of 2012. I was walking down the street in the heat and the dust and just the funk of a New York City summer when all of a sudden I remembered the opening line from that old Lovin' Spoonful song. Hot town, summer in the city. Back of my neck, it's feeling dirty and gritty. Sometimes there are moments, brothers and sisters, when you realize that lines you have grown up hearing all of your life are actually perfectly true. Anyway, the nice thing about summers in the city is that the playgrounds have sprinklers in them that they turn on for kids to be able to run through. One time I remember taking Hannah Ruth to a playground in our neighborhood to cool off and I remember through all of the kids and the parents and the caregivers running around seeing a mom in a far back corner of the playground helping her two little ones change into their bathing suits. 
She had an infant in front of her on the ground lying on a changing pad that she was trying to get into a swim diaper, and she had a preschooler sort of off to the side who she was trying to coach into his own bathing suit at the same time, but really all he wanted to do was go and play. Anyway, she went back and forth between the two of them when all of a sudden something happened. And the infant on the changing pad got upset and needed a little more attention, just some TLC. And while she was distracted, the older one saw his chance. And he broke for the sprinklers, wearing nothing but a swim shirt and a smile. Now, there were a lot of adults around that day, so nothing bad was actually going to happen to the child. But you can imagine the look on his mother's face when she realized that he was gone. She got up from the ground and started off to go and look for him, but then she realized that she couldn't leave, but she had to, but she couldn't. Eventually, after a moment, another parent there got her attention and pointed her son out to her in the midst of all of the other kids. And you could feel the relief as it washed over her once she realized that he was okay. Of course, pretty soon after that, that relief was replaced by another emotion when she realized just how he was dressed or not, out there in front of God and everybody else. I was reminded of that story when I read our Luke passage for today. You can feel the same emotional arc in Jesus' parable of the shepherd and the lost sheep as that mom went through on that Manhattan playground. The realization, the desperation, the search, the relief. And yet, what's most interesting about these two stories is not how they are similar, but instead it's how they are different. Which one of you, Jesus says, Having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 where they are in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until you find it. Some of you might be familiar with the old gospel hymn, The Ninety and the Nine, that actually came out of D.L. Moody's revival tours. It talks about how with the ninety and the nine safely in their shelter, the shepherd can wander the hills searching for his lost sheep. It's a sweet hymn, but it is not the story that Jesus tells us in today's passage. The way that Jesus tells it, the other 99 sheep are left there in the wilderness to fend for themselves. Unsecured, unguarded, leaderless, exposed to the elements, to the vagaries of chance, exposed to whatever predators might be wandering through the area at the time. No shepherd in his right mind would be so foolish as to do like this one has done. 
Perhaps we should name it the parable of the not-so-good shepherd. And then once he's found it, how does this shepherd treat this lone, lost sheep? Is he angry with it? Does he drive it across the hillsides in front of him back to all of its peers? Does he try to teach it a lesson so that, <clears throat> so that it doesn't ever do this again? No. He instead picks it up, lays it gently across his shoulders, and carries it all the way back by himself. I have to wonder what the other sheep, the 99 who were obedient, thought when they saw him coming across the hills and they realized what he had draped across his shoulders. How that one wayward sheep was being so lovingly and gently cared for when they had been abandoned. While it's not quite from the same part of the world, Amy Jill Levine, a New Testament scholar who just a few years ago retired from Vanderbilt University, notes in her commentary on this passage that according to a colleague of hers from Africa, it's standard practice in shepherding cultures there to take any sheep that wanders off like this one and just go ahead and kill it before it can do it a second time and lead others astray. While that might sound extreme to you and me, I would ask you to take a moment and consider whether or not this might actually be a more reasonable solution than the picture that we are shown in this parable. It just doesn't make sense. Who chases after the stray one, the dim one, the wayward one, the disobedient one, the one who is either unable or unwilling to do as it is told when the 99 are still right there at your side? It appears that this story did not make much sense to some early Christians either. In one of the Gnostic Gospels, the so-called Gospel of Thomas, this parable is told in this way. Jesus said, The kingdom is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. When one of them, the largest one, wanders off, he leaves the 99 and goes looking for that one until he finds it. And when he has found it, he says to this sheep, I care for you more than all of the others combined. Did you catch it? Did you see how this writer is trying to make sense of Jesus' story, trying to make Jesus make sense to us? The one for him who wandered off was more beloved, bigger, stronger, more valuable. And there, he says, that explains the actions of the shepherd. That explains this bizarre decision. Here, he is a much more sensible 
character. But Jesus, as we all know, was not known for being sensible, for doing things according to the accepted wisdom of his time the right way, for according to his peers, having the best judgment. And this, of course, is where the rubber actually hits the road in this morning's text. Because as Luke tells us by way of introduction, all of the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and all of the religious leaders were grumbling to themselves. Can you believe it? This guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. Doesn't he realize that in this world you are known by the company that you keep? Hasn't he ever heard that if you lie down with dogs, you will wake up with fleas? Why does he keep hanging out with those people? Why does he prioritize them, go after them, spend time with them, break bread with them? Doesn't he see us? Doesn't he see that we are here as well? Wouldn't he rather focus on those of us who are obedient, the ones who do what we are supposed to do, go where we are supposed to go, and stay where we are supposed to stay? And yet from the very beginning, Jesus is very clear about what he is about, about why he has come about what brings him joy, about what makes him want to throw a party like the shepherd does in this story once he's found that sheep, like the woman does in the other parable once she has found her coin. What makes him want to kill the fatted calf and set a banquet like the father does in the parable that is right after these two in Luke 15, when his youngest son returns home after having previously turned his back on his family. Behold, this son of mine was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. Prodigal sons and daughters, sinners and tax collectors, even y'all, you and me. Wayward sheep of all kinds who wander off into the night or who are decidedly selfish people or who spend their days doing nothing more than chases whatever their hearts choose to desire. Those are the ones. We are the ones that Jesus Christ has come into the world to seek and to save and to lead back home. And it's not because we are bigger or stronger or more beautiful or more valuable like the so-called Gospel of Thomas would have us believe. It is simply because he loves us. 
He came for such as us and desires such as us, and he will seek us out heedlessly, intently, relentlessly, no matter where that search might end up taking him, even if it takes him all the way up on a cross. The saying is sure and is worthy of full acceptance. Paul writes to his young friend Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. Who in the world would come and focus on the sinners? And what's this business about saving them? Wouldn't it be so much better to fix them, to correct them, maybe even to shame them? Who would do such a thing as Jesus? I'll tell you who. The foolish shepherd in this morning's text. As I said in the beginning, y'all, sometimes there are moments in this world when you realize that lines you have grown up hearing all of your life are actually perfectly true. Moments when you can finally for once see yourself inside of them. And maybe, just maybe, one of those moments is when you and I finally realize that like Paul, we are in fact foremost amongst all sinners. And that we, you and I, are actually that one lost, loved sheep. Thanks be to God. Amen.